0: Today we're going to talk about the signs in Matthew 24 and 25 and understanding the meaning of the signs of Jesus' return. That is an ambitious, ambitious title that I wrote down there. But I hope you'll track with me on it. Prophecy today is big, big business. And an article a few years ago that the Time magazine had, the Bible and the Apocalypse... It was an article about why the people, why people in the United States are reading more and more about end times and talking about the end of the world. How many of you remember the Left Behind series that came out by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins? You know, incredibly, that series sold over 12 million copies. When I looked into that series' sales, half of the sales were tracked by the publishers, were two evangelicals. Evangelicals which believe the Bible is the Word of God, that Jesus is coming, that what the Bible says is true. Which interestingly, that's another six million people who read that book that um, are not evangelicals. There is an interest. There was a movie made about it. And so, We've been in this series about the end, and I have talked to you so far about the rapture of the church and why I gave you biblical reasons of why I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, and um, there are some people who don't agree with us on that, and I dealt with that extensively several times in the series on Revelation, but I gave you what I believe are very solid biblical reasons and why the Assemblies of God in particular and Many other denominations, such as Baptist, are, are, are so keen on what the Bible says about a pre-tribulational return of Christ. I know people throughout all denominations who agree with us on that. So my t- title of my first message, it just, which really summed up the message, was don't be scared, be prepared. Be prepared. Don't let the end-time events and even the signs we're going to look at Don't let that frighten you, but instead, let it be an admonition in your life, not to be apprehensive, but to anticipate and be prepared for the return of the Lord. And I'm looking forward to that coming of Jesus Christ, aren't you? I'm looking forward to that. By the way, Ron, it's so good to have you back. I've missed your amens, brother. Second message, the second message that um, I preached was, thinking clearly about the coming of Christ. And we went through reasons of how we can be thoughtful, we can think clearly, not panic, not speculate, not run off on tangents. But as long as you say what the Bible says only, you're going to be on safe ground. Can you say amen to that? And so we we talked about that. And then last week, we looked at an interesting passage where Jesus answered the Sadducees, and um, who didn't believe in the resurrection to begin with, and we talked about heaven and how we can prepare and looking forward to heaven. And so today, what I'd like to talk to you about is understanding these signs. Now, I've said this before, so, but I want to say it again. Don't trust. I appreciate your trust. I've had a number of people say, Pastor, I I never really understood prophecy. I, I, I avoided the prophecy, but I trust you and I thank you for it. And I am so grateful for that. But understand something. That is not the motivation. You need to study the word yourself to see if the things that I'm saying are true. Don't buy into it because I said it, but go home, study these messages, listen to these messages again. Go through the series that is online that I did on the book of Revelation because these are matters that pertain to your family your life to everything that means anything to you when my father went to heaven i preached his funeral i was honored to do so i didn't want to i wanted to sit like you do at your loved ones but my family insisted and it was my honor to preach his funeral But afterwards, I was going through what everybody goes through. And I warned those of you that I've done your family's funerals to prepare for the grief that follows. I needed some preachers that would preach into my life. So I contacted biblical preachers that I know. And I trusted. And I said, can you send me messages that you've preached at funerals for loved ones who have died? I need somebody to minister to me. Because I would break down in the car and start crying. I'd be sitting at my desk... And there's not a day that goes by that I still don't miss my father. I loved him so much. But after this period of years now, I can honestly tell you because I listened over and over and just kept reflecting in my own devotions and my wife would listen to me. And now she's going through that with her father's death this past year. There's something powerful about listening to the Word and letting it get deep into your spirit that now my grief has turned to joy. I know one day I'm not only going to see Jesus, but I'm going to see my daddy and Becky's daddy. And that's the reason I encourage you, listen over and over and let these messages get deep into your soul because as I've tried to emphasize in every service, prophecy is meant to encourage us and not frighten us. So today we're going to talk about the purpose of the signs. One of our pastors was telling me about a funeral recently that someone that they know preached. And because it was for a denomination that's known to be very liberal and doesn't really trust the word of the Lord, the friend of his that was speaking, just honoring the deceased, um, kind of soft around the subject of eternity. And unbeknownst to him, the pastor of this particular church happened to be a spirit-filled, very conservative, evangelical pastor, and got up, and these are the first words out of his mouth, and I'll just call him Bill. And he says, Bill is in hell because he never trusted Jesus Christ. Wow. That is not the way you want a funeral to start. And boy, I've thought about that, and what that must have done to that family, and what that did, and uh, the pastor friend said, I was just shocked at how blunt he was, and I'm literally just thinking about that one day, and just praying for that family, and then it just dawns on me, and I think the Holy Spirit just kind of worked this into my spirit. You know, I won't blame God for this, because I thought it's shocking It might have even been manipulative, but it was true. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, heaven will not be your ultimate destination for eternity. And so, some of what we may say in this message, or I may say in this message this morning, may be somewhat shocking, but it's true. It's what Jesus said, and I want you to take time to look at it. Now, the very first of this series, I said some things that I stand by that I don't really like talking about the signs a whole lot, because as I opened up, prophecy is big business. It sells a lot of books, gets a lot of people worried and upset from time to time. There are people you know, if you've been around Woodland at all, there are people that just foam at the mouth about signs and wonders and miracles. They'll go to any crusade. They'll go to any stadium. They want to see miracles. But their lives never change when they see a miracle. I've said this over and over. If miracles were going to bring revival to America, America would be saved and revived already because America is seeing more miracles than any nation ever deserves to see. The purpose of signs and wonders is to confirm the Word of God that will change your life. That's the purpose. Jesus said these signs and wonders will follow them that preach the gospel, that share the good news. So the purpose of miracles is to confirm the Word that will change our lives, that we will follow Jesus passionately. And friends, the signs are not something to get all giddy about and fascinated with. But the signs are to cause us to trust Christ and to look for it and to pray like the early church did. Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. Can you say amen to that? So if you would, stand with me, and I want to read to you the first three verses and do a message, I hope, that will give us anticipation and aggressiveness about being passionate followers of Jesus. Now this is on a Monday or Tuesday after the triumphal entry where Jesus fulfilled prophecy and he came into Jerusalem and they had already left and they came back. And in Matthew 24, Jesus was leaving the temple grounds. His disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all of these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. And not one stone will be left on top of another. Well, later Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, that's the mountain that Jesus would ascend back to heaven from, and that's the, seven, the, the mount that Jesus will return to earth on. Later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when is all this going to happen? And what sign will signal your return in the end of the world? Father, I ask you to give us wisdom. I ask you to give us understanding. I ask you to increase our anticipation. And this morning, Lord, to increase our aggressiveness to pursue you and your plan and your will and becoming passionate followers of Jesus Christ. May prophecy encourage us, O Lord, in our walk with you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. I have to give you some significant background before we get to the message at the end of Matthew 24. So basically, the outline you have in your hand is going to be our growth work today. And you may want to take some notes or go online as I urged you to and listen to this message over again. When Jesus came in to Jerusalem on what we call the day of His triumphal entry, the Passion Week that we always celebrate here at Woodland every Easter, the crowds were shouting Hosanna. They were waving palm branches. Jesus was riding on the back of a a donkey that had never been ridden before, thus fulfilling prophecy, Old Testament prophecy. Even the children were crying out and praising God. And the religious leaders and the political leaders, they rejected Jesus. And if you remember, they said, can't you hear these children crying out? And Jesus told them, says, if these children don't cry out, even the stones will cry out, and they will proclaim the name of the Lord. Jesus leaves Jerusalem without recounting all that happened there. Jesus leaves Jerusalem having been rejected by the temple leaders and the political leaders of the time. On his way out of Jerusalem, he curses a fig tree. The fig tree withers up, and it dies, and um, his disciples are fascinated when they pass it by, and they see that it's withered up, and it was a sign that he would explain later, and we'll talk about the fig tree in just a few moments. But Jesus says a statement that just shocks the disciples when he tells them Jerusalem is going to be leveled and there's not even going to be one stone left upon top of the other stone. And that's exactly what would happen in AD 70. I've been there. I've been to those archaeological sites. I did part of my graduate studies there. And so, I've seen these things, I've witnessed them, I've seen dramatizations of what had happened there as Titus came into Jerusalem and fulfilled this prophecy that Jesus gave. This would have been before Jesus was crucified, and so about A.D. 70 was when all of this took place, and it happened. Well, the disciples were curious because obviously he had the crowds with him. Why don't you just lead a rebellion? Why don't you just take over? Remember, that's part of what discouraged Judas and why he betrayed Jesus. He thought maybe he could force the hand of Christ. They still did not understand what we know now, and that is the crucifixion of Christ for our sins and the resurrection of Christ, thereby defeating sin, hell, death, the grave, all of that thing. Part of what you sing about this morning is we talked about Jesus' triumph over death. We sang about that. We celebrated that. And we look back now and we go, why didn't they get it? I know sometimes I read Jesus' teaching and I say, why didn't they get it? And there will come a time where I'm sure I'm going to go, why didn't I get that? Why didn't I understand this? And there have been times even now as I grow and as I was telling the church in our midweek Bible studies, we're going through the book of 1 Peter, I want to constantly be growing. As I was telling the board yesterday, I you know, I've preached for so many years now, I, it would be easy for me to just not work as hard and study, and but every day I still give at least six hours a day just to prayer and study. I don't say that to impress you, but I, I tell you that because it's true, and number two, I do it because I want to continue growing in Christ and growing as a pastor. So, there are things now that I go, why didn't I get this earlier in my ministry? Why didn't I get this earlier in my marriage or even raising my children? There's just always, if you seek to grow, God will continue to teach you from the Scriptures. Jesus gives us a list of signs in Matthew 24. Now, it's important to understand with prophecy Signs are not sequential or chronological. When you read the Old Testament prophets, they're always tossing out these signs, whether it's in the book of Joel or whether it's in Isaiah or Ezekiel. They're tossing out these signs. And many well-meaning people have tried to make charts, and they've tried to make calendars based upon the signs, hoping to be able to say, this will be the season, or this will be the time, or this will be the year when Christ comes again, when Jesus clearly said, no man knows the hour, no man knows the time, not even the angels, not even the Son of Man. And so, he's telling us not to try to make the signs sequential or try to make them chronological. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, the signs aren't sequential. Now, you look back at the neighbor that just told you that and say, well, I know that. Pastor just told me, okay? Don't be a know-it-all. You know, the signs aren't sequential, but it's the pattern of the Old Testament prophets. And so don't ever just try to put them into a calendar because this is what I've discovered, you know, in talking with people you know, I made this decision, I made this investment decision, I made this decision to move here, I quit my job to do this because somebody gave me a calendar of events, I trusted them, I believed them, and I made these decisions because I believed Jesus was going to come in 1970, I believed Jesus was going to come in the 80s, or I believed Jesus was going to come in the 90s. Friends, it's speculative and I don't think anybody was trying to harm you, it's just that, Jesus. Jesus says, no man knows the hour or the time. I wake up every morning. I have a few verses of Scripture. I have a creed I quote every morning, but I end up that time sitting on the side of my bed saying, Lord Maranatha, I want to pray like the New Testament. I want you to come today. I believe that the return of Jesus is imminent. It could happen at any moment, but I plan my life as though it may be 500 more years before Jesus comes. Does that make sense? You live with that anticipation, and you live with that hope. Because if you commit to a calendar, if you commit to a sequence, and it doesn't work out the way you thought so, then you stop being watchful, and you lose your alertness. And Jesus tells us clearly with prophecy, it's to make us alert. It's to make us watchful. He'll even use those phrases in this sermons in Matthew 24 and 25, where we're to be alert and we're to be watchful, and when it doesn't work out according to a calendar of events, then somehow or another, sometimes we get discouraged. Jesus talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, and He tells them it's going to be terrible, it's going to be horrible. Titus comes in, he levels the city, but Jesus, Jesus had warned the people that would listen. He says, when you see this begin to happen, flee. And actually, we know that that happened. Archaeologically, historically, we know that happened. A lot of Christian believers and a lot of believers uh, and a lot of people who maybe were not Christians, but because they trusted what the apostles were preaching in those days before Titus came, many of them went across... The, the, to the other side of the Jordan River and to a city called Pella, not Petra. Some of you are thinking of Petra. They went to Pella, and there they were spared the ravages and the destructions that took place because they were alert and aware to the sign of the times. Now, you may not think Jerusalem had been a big deal, but Jerusalem in that day would have been like one of the major cities of the known world. It would have been like a Paris or a Rome or a New York City. Josephus, who some of you, you've told me you've read Josephus. Josephus was a historian that secular uh, archaeologists and historians and, and, and Christian uh, historians and Jewish historians quote from quite a bit. Josephus tells us, listen, the temple was made of marble labeled with gold and appeared from a distance As a mountain of snow glistening in the sun. In commentary about the temple, he went on to write this He who has not seen the temple, listen, has not seen a beautiful building in his life. The temple was a beautiful, stunning place to see. And you go up to Jerusalem. When you're going to Jerusalem, you go up and, and you see the uh, dome of the mosque that the Muslims had built on the old temple site, what they think is the old temple site. It just glistens, and if you're in your mind's eye, you can imagine what the temple was saying there. But because for several centuries, the Jewish people had been rebelling and revolting all the way against the Greeks who inhabited them, all the way against the Romans now that were inhabiting them, uh, if you remember, there was a group of them that uh, were still, you know, considered very, very dangerous. They were revolutionaries. Judas was a part of that. They thought they could overthrow the Roman government that somehow or another... They were a sect of Jews. They were not faithful Jews. They were a sect of Jews. They're kind of like, you know, ISIS that somehow or another, if they could overthrow Western governments, then the Mahdi is going to come if they can cause this nuclear war. And I'm sure you've read about that in the paper and magazines. But Rome was saying, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. They'd had enough. And so Titus was sent to totally level, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the Jewish people destroy the Israeli way of worship. Don't think that's unusual. Even this morning in the New York Times, there is an expose that has come out over 400 pages of internal documents from the Chinese government that have been released where China is trying to stamp out a certain ethnic group on its borders. And they have imprisoned over a million, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Uyghurs. And they have said to show them absolutely no mercy. That's the headline, and then it quotes from those 400 pages, to show them absolutely no mercy. So it's the same sort of thing that we've seen throughout history. We saw it in Bosnia, if you remember the bosnian and Serbia War that was happening in the 90s, where tribes of people were being somehow or another executed and eliminated. So the disciples come to Jesus, and they ask him, when is the end going to come? Now, there's an interesting word I want to point out to you before we get to the, uh, to the, to the application of this this morning. There's an interesting word that they use, and that Greek word is Sunania. It's a little different word than you would expect, because what they're asking is, what's going to be the consummation of the age? What's going to be the consummation of the end of time? What's going to be the sign of your coming, Jesus? They're they're curious about this because they, they hear him talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. They want him. They want him to lead a revolution and become king. The people were willing to make him king by force if necessary. If you remember why he departed from feeding the hungry. And so, Jesus doesn't give them a sign First, he gives them signs. And he tells them there's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of wars and all through history. So it's not a sign. Listen, listen, this is important. Wars and rumors of wars are not a sign of Jesus' return. Say that with me. They're not a sign of Jesus' return. There's always going to be signs. There's always going to be wars. There's always going to be rumors of wars. But we know the intensity of those wars are increasing. There are more wars going on now than ever before. He uses a word when we translate it nation, but that word is ethnicities. Ethnicities will rise against ethnicities. We see that happening all over the world. He talks to us about natural disasters increasing Some of what we see in our world, I think, is from all of my reading and study is because of natural cycles that our world goes through, but there is also probably some man-made contribution to the climate change that's happening in our world today. My family members who live on the coast are experiencing in some places what a half a degree temperature change means as tides increase and floodwaters increase. I was with one of my family members last year who live on the coast, and they have a flag tied up now in their yard to indicate when the waters reach a certain level they need to evacuate that they've never had to worry about before because of the changing of what's happening in our climate. Jesus talks about the tribulation of believers, and believers have always suffered for their faith. And today, there are more martyrs taking place in Christianity than historically have ever taken place before. Part of that is the rise of fundamentalistic Islamic terrorism. But there's also, just like last week, China destroyed a mega church during the worship service. A mega church is a church that runs over 10,000 people. That's how a mega church is defined. And during the worship service, the Chinese government came in and began to destroy that church. This week, a pastor's wife in Finland was convicted of hate crimes for teaching students what the Bible says about marriage. Friends, in Canada, people are being persecuted for their faith by the courts. In San Francisco this week, there was a case decided against the young couple who made the undercover videos of the selling of babies' body parts of brains and hearts and limbs. And when that expose took place, it even shook Congress and they began investigation. And only in a place called San Francisco would you find them guilty for exposing the truth. There's something happening that there's an increasing flood of evil in our world today, but even that's not the sign of Christ's return is to make us alert and aware. The Bible talks about false prophets that will appear and even will do signs and wonders that will deceive the elect. That's the reason I tell you The way I opened the message this morning, that the purpose of signs and wonders is not for us to foam at the mouth or salivate over or to pack out crusade stadiums or things of that nature, but the signs of the times are for us to change our lives. Miracles are to confirm the Word of God. And then Jesus talks about just this general deception that will come upon people. There are parents today sending their children to gender change surgeries because somebody has convinced them that that's the compassionate and merciful thing because their child no longer feels like a boy or their daughter no longer feels like a girl. I don't say this with hate, and I don't say this with with prejudice. I really genuinely feel for people who are struggling with that. But if you're going to be a parent, you got to be strong. And if you're not willing to have guts, pardon my French, if you're not willing to be strong, don't make babies. Somebody ought to say amen right there. If you don't have the courage and the guts to be a strong mama and daddy, don't be making babies. Stay out of bed with one another. Because the consequence of that is not for you to dispose of it like it's trash, or to give it to somebody that's going to sell its body part, or to give into it when it's suffering with changes that I feel feminine, or I feel masculine, only to have that child come back to you in another decade or two when they realize they're really not a girl, they're really not a boy, and you have done interminable and unestimatable damage to them by sending them through these painful surgeries and treating them with chemistry somebody say amen right there there is deception that's taking place this week GLAD said that they had surpassed their goal of forcing the major networks to have at least 10% of the population of characters on their shows to be represented as gay and lesbian or queer transgender and whatever the number plus is supposed to mean I I admit I don't know right there that is twenty percent, which so far surpasses the number of confirmed homosexual people in our nation we 're not angry at homosexuals we don 't people who say christians don 't like that 's not true, but there is no shred of evidence that DNA made you that way and There is every evidence that God loves you, God cares for you, God wants to redeem you, but don't let people deceive you into thinking that what God says is not healthy and whole is good for your life. And so there's general deception that the media and business has cooperated with. I've had a few people tell me, say, Pastor, how how do I keep from being deceived? How do I keep my children from being deceived? I've got one surefire way to tell you how to keep me from being deceived. Stay full of the Holy Spirit. If you will stay full of the Holy Spirit and stay filled with the Word of God, you won't be deceived by the deception of our age. Somebody say praise God. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, I'm going to stay full of the Holy Spirit. Now look back at that neighbor and say, I'm counting on you staying full of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to live with the deceiver. You want to live with somebody full of the spirit of truth and love and grace. You see, what Jesus is saying is all of this is leading to the ultimate coming, when the whole earth will know that Christ has returned. It's not going to be a mysterious appearance. Every once in a while, I'll get some letter or some email will pop up in my box about some Messiah that has appeared in the desert or somebody is seeing these visions and, and, and God is speaking through this person and this person is meant to save the world. Just before I moved to Michigan 20 years ago in Conyers, Georgia, Conyers would be totally locked up because supposedly Mary was showing up and people would just pack this certain place because Mary was showing up. And Mary was telling people about the end of the world. And Mary was telling people to come back to the Catholic Church. And Mary was telling people all this stuff. There's a general deception and people buy into that kind of stuff. You don't have to be deceived. Stay full of the Holy Spirit. Remember I talked to you about the fig tree just a few moments ago? Well, Jesus is going to use that fig tree again. And he's going to tell them in this chapter, if you'll go home and read it later, he's going to tell them to learn a lesson from the budding of the fig tree. And I got a new favorite life verse from this chapter this week, from this this passage. Because he says, learn a lesson from the budding of the fig tree, because when you see the fig tree begin to bud, you know summer is near. Doesn't that sound good? Summer is near. And I know it has nothing to do with the message, and it had nothing to do with my study, but it jumped off the page in boxcar-sized letters. I wrote it down in the front of my Bible. I called Becky up, and I says, the Bible says summer is near. It's out of context, but it spoke to me. He says, when you see this happen, you know summer is near. So what he's saying is, when you, and, and, and Israel was always, one of the symbols of Israel was a fig tree. God, one of the prophets says that Israel was his fig tree. In another place, he talks about it being his vine, but it's, it's always a sign of Israel. And so, when you look at that, the sign is Israel. Now, listen carefully, because this, these signs are meant to encourage and not discourage. So the sign has to do with Israel. Back in the 1890s, you studied this in high school, there was a man named Dreyfus that was convicted. It's known as the Dreyfus Affair. He was convicted in France of something he didn't do. He was convicted of being a thief. He was exonerated later because it was shown that it was simply a racial trial just like in America. We put people in jail just because they were black without a shred of evidence because somebody said so. We forgot our own sins. But Dreyfus was put in prison. He was later exonerated. But that set into motion a, a something called Zionism that a man who was concerned named Theodore Herzl began to create and say, the Jews needed a safe place to live because Europe had this anti-Semitic attitude that was so prevalent. Anti-Semitism is still with us today. We see it right here in our own country with the bombing of Jewish synagogues and uh, alt-right hate groups who who preach against Jewish people and Islamic people who preach against Jewish people. I should say fundamentalistic Islamic people who preach against Jewish people. The Jews were being marginalized business-wise. The Jews were being marginalized socially. And you and I look at that and we go, that's so far back. But let me give you a little illustration where I I had to deal with this. In a little town in West Georgia where we had an Assemblies of God church that one of our pastors that we sent there as a young pastor. I I was responsible for 88 district-supervised churches, and we sent there, and lost people began to get saved, and people decided they did not want a spirit-filled church in that town, so they began to boycott anybody's business. They began to ostracize them in the community. We had to take action against that. Because the folks didn't want an Assemblies of God congregation in their community. The Assemblies of God is an evangelical congregation, a spirit-filled congregation, long-time, lifetime members of the National Evangelical Association, who has often been led by Assemblies of God leaders. But some people started some rumors, and that's how things get started. It's the reason God says He hates gossip. It's like somebody told one of the members of our church who is here today, don't you know that people who believe what your pastor believed, they handle snakes? And she said, you don't know our pastor very well then. He hates snakes. In the words of my grandmother, who went to, did not know, but was invited and accepted an invitation to go to a snake-handling church in South Georgia, they put a snake in front of her, a big old rattlesnake in front of my grandmother, Clannan, and said, if you don't hold this snake, you're going to hell. And my godly little grandmother, full of feistiness and spunk, looked at them and said, if you don't get that snake out of my face, I'm going to knock the hell out of you. (laughs) I love my family tree. (laughs) You see, when you marginalize people, you say they're not important. Herzl began to talk about the need for a place for Jewish people to go where they would be safe from persecution. World War I came along, and after the… Are you still with me? Are you tracking with me this morning? World War I came along, and after the conclusion of that war, a godly, passionate follower of Christ by the name of General Allenby, because the Ottoman Empire had collapsed, he agreed with Herzl. The Jews needed a safe place. Palestine for the first time in over 1,500 years, we're going to have the the opportunity for Jewish people to begin to come back and eventually form a nation. And so the Balfour Declaration was declared, and and Jews began returning because uh, the government under the Ottomans had been a Muslim, not an Arab government, but a Muslim government, and And then following the Jews beginning to make their exodus to to Palestine, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem did not like it. And then Hitler hated the Jews and anti-Semitism was on the rise again. Of course, the Soviet Union hated the Jews and didn't trust them. And so World War II came along and over 12 million Jewish people died and perished in the Holocaust. When I moved to Detroit in 1999, there were only 12 million Jews left living in the world that'll give you the consequence of what happened in World War II. And so the United Nations agreed the Jews needed a safe place to be. And so suddenly, Bible prophecy was fulfilled. And in 1948, overnight, a nation was born that had not existed for over 1,500 years. The nation of Israel was born. And suddenly, what Jesus says, when you see the budding of the fig tree, you know summer is near. Somebody give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. <laughs> he gave the place for the Jewish people to be safe. And the Jews said, and again, you won't find this in magazines today. You have to do your historical research. But the Jews said, To everybody living in what was Palestine, it was now Israel. You can keep your house. You can keep your land. You can keep your belongings. But because of the hatred and the antipathy, many people fled Israel because they thought the Jews would do to them what they had done to them. That somehow or another the Jews would seek revenge and they were being scared. I say all of that and I need to just say for a moment... When I'm preaching this, I'm not preaching Israel is a Christian nation. Israel, by and large, is not a Christian nation. I have more brothers and sisters among the Palestinians in Christ than I have among the Jewish people. I know I've been there. I've worshiped with them. worshiped with Messianic believers and with Palestinian believers. We have more brothers and sisters in Christ among believe it or not Arab people than we do among Jewish people and that word generation I don't think refers to a 40 year period I think it's talking about Israel I could be wrong on that I, I admit that I could be but there are a lot of scholars who agree with me on that so I really believe Israel is the is the sign that Jesus is saying here in Matthew 24 So I feel deeply for the suffering and the agony of the Palestinians for any injustices, let me rephrase that, for the injustices that they have faced. But I also feel deeply for the sufferings and the marginalization of the Jewish people in our world as well. It's the reason I have sought intentionally to build relationships among both. But in a parallel passage, Jesus said that Jerusalem would be trodden down until the time of the Gentiles. Would be trodden down by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled. Therefore, he says, you're the salt. You're the light of the world. And this message is not to get us to move to Alaska to hunt moose, to escape the Antichrist. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We don't want to be scared. We want to be prepared. We're looking for Jesus Christ. Amen? We're not going to sell off our investments. I don't give investment advice. We're we're going to think clearly about heaven. Can you say amen to that as well? So what should we do? Now you can pull out your outlines. Does that help you understand the context of Matthew 24 a little bit? And again, I would listen to this message over and over. Let me quickly go through how Jesus, because after all of this, Jesus gives them a short sermon, and I want to give you a short piece of growth work to help you know how to apply this prophetic preaching. Number one, live a godly life. Number one, live a godly life. Jesus in no way tells us these things so that we're going to be obsessed with times, events, and speculation about the end of times. I don't buy a lot of, quote, end-time prophecy books that are bestsellers. I don't do it, because they're always dealing with, you know, oil, or maybe they're dealing with this or that. I try to read good scholarly books on the Bible and Try to read the Bible and look at that. Because what prophecy is meant to do is to encourage us to godly living. is to encourage us to be passionate followers of Jesus. It's why in Thessalonians, Paul says, I am supposed to encourage you with these words. We're to encourage one another. So it's to encourage us to become passionate followers of Christ. Remember, I talked to you about Jesus said it would be a time of deception. In Matthew 24 and verse 4, he says, don't let anyone mislead you. Don't anyone mislead you. Stick with the Bible. Don't accept it because I've said it this morning. Go back, read your Bibles, read through it again and again. In Matthew 24, verse 13, Jesus says this, The one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. The word is ethnicities. All nations will hear it. And then, read it with me, the end will come. We don't evangelize because we're trying to hasten the coming of Jesus. We don't evangelize because we're trying to bring King Jesus back to earth. We evangelize because God loves lost people. Amen? We share our faith because God loves lost people. God loves everyone. And we want to do our best to share the good news of Jesus. But notice what it says, to the one who endures. Don't be a lukewarm Christian. Don't be a complacent Christian. Don't listen to this message and just let it escape your memory. God calls you to endure. You can walk away from the faith. You can walk away and end up going to hell rather than going to heaven. Pastor, I thought you said that I was secure in Christ. You were secure in Christ. If you endure and you follow him... You see, if you stop following Jesus, that's probably a good sign that you were like one of those seeds that Jesus talked about that was cast upon hard ground and it never took root and it withered away. Or you're one of those seeds that let the cares and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the life of God in you. We're called to follow God. At a funeral I just recently preached, the place was packed, and I was moved. I hadn't prepared this, but there were more children and teenagers in this funeral than I'm accustomed to seeing in a funeral, and so I addressed those kids there. I addressed those children and those teenagers that were there at the funeral, and I said to them, the people in my congregation, they're not the people that are members of our church that used to deal drugs or were drug addicts or did other things that, you know, I shouldn't even speak about from the pulpit, but the People in our congregation that impressed me the most, or like our new young board member that we elected, that is a passionate follower of Jesus. He grew up serving Jesus. He married a girl that grew up loving Jesus. They're raising children that grew up in loving Jesus. There is the most wonderful story to be told about children who, as a young age, were raised by mothers and fathers that taught them to love the Lord, and they said no to the world, and they said yes to Jesus, and they spent a lifetime serving God. God. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for kids like that? That may not sell a book but that's the kind of child I want to raise. So Jesus says in Matthew 24, 25 I've warned you about this ahead of time. Number two be confident in my convictions. Be confident in your convictions. You see, look at me. Now don't miss this. It don't take long to write the word conviction down. Look at me now. Convictions say that word with me. Convictions, they shape our character. They shape our attitudes about life. When you have godly convictions, your character is godly and it's strong. When you have a godly attitude about life, you're not overwhelmed or intimidated when the enemy comes in like a roaring lion. You take your stand in Jesus Christ. You pull out the sword of the Spirit. You stand for God, and you defeat that enemy in Jesus' name. You see, convictions matter to us. People without convictions, I see them, I talk with them. They run the gamut from depression to giddiness. One day they're just all joyful about life. The next day they're all depressed about life. But people who have godly, strong convictions, they keep going full steam ahead because they know one day Jesus Christ is going to come. Nations will always rattle their sabers. Terrorist groups are rattling their sabers. Nuclear powers like Korea and Pakistan are rattling their sabers. They say they're going to come to America and they're going to set off a dirty bomb. Maybe you're afraid to fly or get on a bus or get on a train or a subway. I think about these things when I travel. But Jesus says in Matthew 24, 6, don't panic. You'll hear about wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Friends, listen to me. Listen now carefully. These are either the words of the Messiah or they're the words of a madman. How dare you to tell me not to panic when we're sending our sons and daughters to war? How dare you not to tell me to be alarmed when sometimes your children are in the midst of the fight. Friends, there's what every godly mother and every godly father, every godly spouse has felt it when their son or daughter has gone off to war and bullets and mortars and bombs are flying around your children. And Jesus says, don't panic. My son went through four significant explosions and experienced injuries. And one time I called him. I had been on my knees praying about this, or I called and he got back in touch with me to the relief of Beck and I. And he said, Dad, listen to me. I love Jesus with all my heart. If I die serving God in my country, I'm going straight to heaven. I'm a winner, Dad. Don't worry. Don't panic, Dad. You see, my son was preaching what Jesus was preaching to you and I. Don't be alarmed by the signs of the time. Greater is he that is within us than he that's within the world. Have the confidence of your convictions this morning. Have that confidence in Jesus' name. It's why Jesus wants us to know about our loved ones who died. Dear brothers and sisters, in 1 Thessalonians 4, we want you to know what happened to believers who have died, so you'll not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns... God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. He goes on. Listen now. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. The last time you heard Jesus shout was on Calvary when he said, it is finished, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost and died. You're going to hear him shout again. He's going to come from heaven with the shout, he's going to come with the sound of the trumpet, and the archangel with the trumpet call of God, first the believers who have died will rise from their graves, then together we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up, that's the rapture, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, We will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Somebody give him another hand of praise this morning. Encourage each other with these words. Third, share the good news of Jesus. That's what he's saying. He says the proper attitude for you to have is to go from fascination to evangelization. Don't just go, oh, signs, signs. You know, go to evangelization evangelization each day. Share the good news. Jesus says in verse 14, the good news of the kingdom will be preached and all nations will period and then the end will come. Psalms 96 verse 2 says sing to the Lord, praise his name. It's what you did when you came into this place this morning. If you came in late, you missed it. But we sang and we praised the Lord. Last night in our prayer service, around the perimeter of this sanctuary, people gathered and they lifted their hands up to heaven. And they said, Lord, let there be a canopy of praise in this place tomorrow. Let the presence of God be experienced. Let the healing presence, the saving presence, the delivering presence, the encouraging presence of the Holy Spirit be felt in this place. And we lifted our hands and we worshipped and we prayed for you this morning. All around this building, we sing his praise, but then he goes on to say, well, each day then, Dennis, proclaim the good news that he saves and publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Somebody say, come on, victory this morning. That's the way you live in light of prophecy. Number four, he says, be prepared. And he uses an unusual illustration. I won't take time to read it this morning because we're almost out of time, and I'm going to ask the band to come up to the stage. He says, be prepared. He uses the illustration. He said, if the homeowner knew a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. Remember what I said? You want to be watchful. You want to be alert. But now look at me. Don't look at the band. Look at me for just a second. What does a burglar come to do to steal rob and so you take your Valuables and you hide them right you put them in a safe deposit box. Maybe you have a home safe You put them someplace and you put security on your home Remember a few years ago after a Wednesday night service. I came home. I was exhausted And Becky had a sandwich and a bowl of soup for me. I had just bought my first brand new... It was the mother of all snowblowers, wasn't it, Pastor Rick? I had just bought my first brand new snowblower. It was sitting in my garage, and I forgot to close the garage door. The burglar came in and stole my new snowblower. After I paid the deductible, I bought the child of the mother of all snowblowers. You see, the thief will come. What's he saying? Don't let anybody steal from you your hope of the return of Jesus. Don't let anybody steal from you your preparedness and your watchfulness. The enemy will try to rob you of these truths. And that's why I'm saying listen over and over, but be faithful, but be sensible. In Matthew 24, he also says, and again, I won't take time to read it, But he talks about the faithful and sensible servant who takes care of what the master has entrusted to him, including the master's servants. When Jesus comes, I want him to say to me, Denny, you are a good pastor. You are a good preacher. You are a good husband. You are a good dad. You are a good citizen. I want him to say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And though people don't like to hear this, in the very next verse, Jesus says, But if you don't, your place will be taken away and you'll be cast into a place of eternal suffering. Heaven is real and hell is real, my friends. And then Jesus says, be ready. Be ready. Have your bags packed. Be ready to go live a productive life. Number seven, be productive. Jesus said, I want to read these two verses. He said, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Can I tell you something? I love it when I'm trusted. I love it when I'm trusted and people think I can help them with something else. Don't you love it when people trust brings the best out of you? And in heaven, you're not going to sit around on a cloud and be lazy all your life. God's got something for you to do. But then Paul goes on and he tells us in applying these passages, he says in 1 Corinthians 12, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. You know, we're supposed to help one another. We're not only supposed to encourage each other, we're supposed to help one another. God is most glorified when we serve one another. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm supposed to serve you. Now look right back at your neighbor and say, well, I know that. <laughs> say, look back at him and say, God has given me a spiritual gift to help you. Now look, now let's be sensible, look. You see, if your car is broken, you don't want me to help you. You're going to have more problems than you have to begin with. <laughs> If you want a portrait painted of your wife, don't ask me to paint the portrait of your wife. You know, she's going to end up looking like a Picasso. And then she's going to hate you and me. God gives us gifts that we enjoy using and serving. And then finally this morning, and I want to close with this, be an encouragement partner. Matthew 25 and verse 34, Jesus will say to them, And I'm just going to pick and read out of this passage. It should all be in your outline. I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous replied, Lord, when? And Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these... You were doing it to my brothers and sisters. Now look at me. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. And I want to be very transparent here. Because when I get to heaven, any reward that I receive Will only be because of the people who've kept me accountable and encouraged me. The people over the years that discipled me, mentored me. The people over the years who call me every week to pray with me, to encourage me. People like you who've worshipped with us and we've worked to serve God together in our community. Listen, it's not about the pastor. It's not about the music music team. It's not about the small group leaders. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. Red, yellow, black, and white. We're the body of Christ. And together, we encourage one another. I don't like to use the word accountability because people take that negative. But my accountability partners, they encourage me. So be a part of a small group. Be a part of a ministry team. And folks, let's keep our eyes on the prize. Jesus is coming soon. First, there will be the rapture, the coming of Christ when he catches away the church to be with him. But God's not done during that period of time that we talked about, the great tribulation. Time like the earth has never known before. There will be things happening on this earth and people will still be getting saved and then Jesus will come back again. And friends, what a day that's going to be when the kingdom of heaven finally comes. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this series. I have really, really enjoyed just being reminded what we always said when I was growing up. I read the back of the book and we win, we win, we win. Hallelujah. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Lord, we're going to worship you in song. We're going to just spend a few moments here just praising your name. But right now, I ask you that, first of all, that this message has served to clear the waters and not muddy the waters. I ask you, second of all, Lord, that if there are those here that have been living complacently and lukewarm Christian lives, Jesus letting their children grow up without sound teaching and encouragement to follow Christ. Lord, I ask you right now that you would convict us and we would become diligent in our pursuit of Christ. I pray, Lord, for our vision as a church, Lord, to celebrate your love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. We'll live, breathe, eat, drink that every single day of our lives. And finally, Lord, I pray for anyone here that has not committed their life to Jesus or, Lord, need to recommit their life to Christ. And if that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? You say, Pastor, how do I know I'm ready to do that? Because you want to. As a matter of fact, if you didn't want to, I've said enough things here to make you so angry that you already hate me. As a matter of fact, I've said enough things this morning to so offend you that you can't wait to get out of here. So if you want to give your heart to Jesus, that's the sign. Not of my persuasion, but of the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ. So pray this prayer with me, right? Just pray it quietly. Say, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to die for my sins to save me from my sins. I don't understand it all, but I commit my life to you. Forgive me. Come into my heart and make me a brand new creation. And Jesus, I want to be ready when you come for your church. For it's in your holy name I pray. And everybody said, Amen.